Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. We have a question from Donna. Do you think an ERA is a good idea after a couple of failed cycles using tested good quality embryos? And wasn't particularly convinced. The people who developed the test Clinicians in, the, in that particular clinic are no longer using it. So it's, I'm not particularly convinced. I think it it's probably is worth doing a hysteroscopy after a couple of failed euploid embryo transfers, um, assuming when you say normal, they've been tested to be genetically normal. In that scenario, I certainly would be suggesting looking inside the uterus and taking a sample at the right time of the cycle to check the endometrium. And I talked about the, the dating that can be done histologically. We also can exclude chronic endometritis. So the inflammation of the endometrium can be a a factor in rare cases, but that's treatable as well. Do I send it off for ERA? Well, if you've got to spare 1500 bucks, maybe, but my experience is it makes no difference. So the next question I have here, Prof, is what do women with thyroid disorders need to know when considering IVF? Do you treat them? Well, if they have a thyroid disorder, they, I hope they're being treated already. Certainly, I would be monitoring in before we start the cycle that the, the various components of thyroid function, which are the TSH, which is the hormone that's made by the brain to tell the thyroid what to do, and the thyroid hormone levels themselves, I'd be testing both of those in the weeks leading up to an IVF cycle. And if one has already has a thyroid condition or on medication, carry on with that medication. The important part really comes in early pregnancy because changes do occur that alter the thyroid function. Whereas when you're not pregnant, you can be very stable on a small dose of thyroxine, but in pregnancy, you may need more. And that's where close monitoring is important uh, once you're pregnant. If I had a reaction to estrogen that caused anxiety bad enough to send me to the ER, should I wait to try to conceive? (laughs) <laughs> no, get on with it. It's a very rare condition, and I'm not 100% that estrogen is going to be the issue. I'm interested, would be interested to know in what scenario you know that estrogen has caused that. If during an IVF cycle, when you've got very high levels of estrogen, you got very anxious, my experience would be that that's predominantly related to the stress of the IVF cycle and worrying about getting pregnant and not to the estrogen. The problem in pregnancy is your estrogen levels are going to rise and if that really is a situation, you've got a problem in being pregnant at all, if that's the reason. But I, I'd be remarkably surprised if your anxiety is related to estrogen. Is there anything I can do from a dietary perspective to improve my sperm morphology? You've got to imagine the testicle as a factory. It's like making cars. There are bits and pieces that get put together early on in the production line and ultimately lots of steps to get to a point where you've got a, a car that's got a motor 
uh, that that's, helps it move along. It has three wheels, not four, or four wheels, not three wheels. <laughs> uh, so there are lots of steps in, in the making of a sperm where you don't get normally shaped sperm. We don't fully understand what those factors might be, but we know that uh, in a normal sperm sample, if we look at using um, criteria that are called strict, in other words, it's the, the, a sperm is the normal length, it has the right shaped head, it has the normal shaped neck, and uh, the tail isn't, isn't bent. In fact, those tall, dark, handsome tadpoles only occur in 5 or 6% of all sperm. It's only when you get down to 1% or 2% that it, that it probably has uh, the normal sperm that it has an impact on fertility. Almost always that drop in morphology, the shape of the sperm, is associated with lower sperm counts, with lower motility. Treating those things or hoping to improve those things may improve the morphology. So do we know anything that does? Well, the answer is we don't. We know that what can cause those things, so cigarette smoking, alcohol, probably marijuana, all have an impact on the total package of the production line. Dietary supplements, there's a separate group, and, and they also are more common with abnormal sperm, is something called DNA fragmentation. So the genetic material in the head of the sperm is broken up uh, into smaller bits, fragmented by oxidation and stress. So Heat is, is supposed to play a part in that. Truck drivers who drive long distances who are, are going to get very warm in the groin over a long period of time are said to have a higher incidence of DNA fragmentation and lower sperm counts. For that, there are some dietary things you can do, and that's taking antioxidants. So vitamin C, vitamin E, red wine is an antioxidant, has within it an antioxidant. So there are things to improve sperm DNA fragmentation, but that's probably not going to change much in terms of morphology or motility or sperm numbers. It's the what's going on inside the head that's improved by antioxidants. Eat a balanced diet. If you are obese, lose weight. They potentially can have an impact. Other than that, in the diet, I mean, on the internet, you'll find a thousand different people saying a thousand different things, none of which are scientifically proven. I keep going back to that point. Any thoughts on DQ alpha gene testing for both partners when history of otherwise unexplained infertility? Again, theories vary as to whether that's worthwhile or not. It costs money. And what do you do if you find something? You can't change genes. It may give you a a coat hanger to hang your unexplained infertility on, but does it change the world? I don't believe there's any strong evidence that that, in, that alleged incompatibility makes a significant difference. Please may I ask if you think breastfeeding a one-year-old would cause FET to fail? If I was had a power, I, I certainly do transfer embryos while a woman's breastfeeding. I try and suggest that weaning is a good idea. With breastfeeding, you produce a hormone called prolactin, that's what drives prolactin. <laughs> it comes from the brain to help breast milk production. It has a secondary effect if it's around in high enough numbers or high enough levels to actually switch off ovulation. That's why breastfeeding mothers who breastfeed five or six times a day are less likely to get pregnant because they don't ovulate. In between that level, high levels of prolactin, caused by regular breastfeeding and lower levels of prolactin where periods come back, but that's slightly irregular, may still have an impact on the hormonal levels that affect the lining of the womb. So 
If I was treating a woman with who was breastfeeding, I would be giving her progesterone supplementation after she's ovulated, if we're watching for ovulation. Alternatively, use hormone replacement therapy, of not uh, watching for ovulation, but actually giving estrogen and then progesterone to put the embryo back in. So you've got, you're maximizing your hormone levels and optimizing the lining of the womb for implantation. So if you haven't taken any of those hormones and you haven't yet established a regular cycle, even though you're only breastfeeding rarely, uh, I certainly would give uh, hormone supplementation. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him, michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 